0: At the end of the day, there's really only three things that you or I or anybody can do with money, right? It it all comes down to giving it away, spending it, or saving slash investing it. Those are the only three things that we can do with money.
1: Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We're your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo. And in today's episode, we are revisiting with a friend, Alex Mason. Alex, welcome back to the show.
0: Hey, thank you guys so much for having me back.
1: We're so glad that you're here. Leo and I are fans of Alex. We listen to his podcast. It's called Stock Stories, and Alex is an individual investor, but he's also a podcaster who loves to help people understand investing better, especially when it comes to long-term investing in the stock market. So we listen to his podcast, Stock Stories. Uh, we love his mental models concept where he goes through and talks about Uh, Just the mental heuristics, the ways that our brains work, the ways that we can create habits and think through difficult problems. He's got a whole series of episodes on different ways that our brains work, especially in relationship to investing. And what he does in the Stock Stories podcast is he goes through the S&P 500 one company at a time and dedicates a whole episode and sometimes more to a company and breaks it down piece by piece by piece. So if you're interested in investing and you want to start investing in individual stocks or you just want to have a broader understanding of the whole stock market, that Stock Stories is a great place to go and learn. He's now done over 100 deep dives into 100 of the companies in the S&P 500. Alex, congratulations. You are 20% of the way there, a little more than 20%. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I know the S&P, you know, every now and then... um, they come, it changes a little yep. bit. You know, yep. they so add a few. Take, up, yeah, but- you may never end Yeah, you may never end.
2: that's okay. It'll give you plenty of content to work off of.
1: Yes. And then, uh, of course, he's tracking this whole journey through stockstoryteller.com. And you can read in the blog and see the episode notes and learn about the mental models. He's just done a great job of sharing with his community there. And one of my favorite things, Alex, that you're doing now is you're building out a new community uh, basically a subscription service where people can actually get, I know people have been asking for more. They've been saying, how can we not just learn about the S&P 500, but how can we learn about some of the, the hottest, most unique investments today? So give us a, just a quick update on what you've been doing with Stock Stories and the subscription service and, and just how you're doing. Yeah. Thank
0: you. Thank you, David. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I I almost can't believe that I've Studied over 100 companies at this point. Like it's, it's, um, it's like a, almost like a fun challenge to, yeah. uh, to see like how far, how far like I can take it. But with the premium, I'm really excited because over the years, people request like, hey, can you do this company? Hey, can you do a story in this company? And that's a way that allows me to be able to, you know, put in that extra effort and research and come up with some interesting investment opportunities and, It's pretty cool because there are companies that I'm personally investing in that I want to talk about more, but they don't necessarily fit within the specific context of like stock stories, the the normal show. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just a cool way, I think, to do some more analysis in a way that people don't necessarily have to jump into their own research right away. They can listen to stock stories and the premium version first and get an idea for what a company is like. And then if they're interested, you know, then do more of their own research. But I think I it's a great it. way to expose people to, to more companies. I mean, there's just so many potential investments out there. It's crazy. Like, yeah. like you guys were saying with the s and I don't know if I'll ever be done because <laughs> the average lifetime of an S&P 500 company has been decreasing every decade mm-hmm. for several decades. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, it's giving me a tough job. I got to catch up.
1: I love it. Well, it gives
2: you plenty of uh, content. And honestly, this uh, this whole investment thing is not something any of us are going to master at any point. It's something we continue to grow in, right? And uh, just looking at the different companies, I love the way you go through your shows and how you start with the history and help everybody understand the, the whole purpose of this business and then go into each aspect of the business, including the financials, uh, how it affects the actual investor. Like a company can make good money, but if it doesn't end up being a good investment for the investor that's an important aspect. That's You can't just uh, jump into a company because they're making a ton of money. It's like, well, great, but how much of that is coming to you as an investor? So I love the way you break that down because anyone can really understand that. So I'll just echo what David said. If you guys are looking for learning how to invest in individual stocks, but just having a, a better understanding of how the stock market works, even if you are investing in mutual funds or or um, those types of investment vehicles that have these companies inside of them, at least you know what companies are inside of those, right? So now you know, okay, these are healthy companies that individually do well. So therefore, when you put them together, that's a good mix. And it just helps you to be a better investor, more informed investor. So when we invited Alex to come back, one, we just wanted to kind of catch up and see what he's up to. We know what he's up to, but we really wanted to introduce some of our listeners who haven't had a chance to listen to Alex yet. And to get to know him and possibly go and listen to him, we really encourage you. We, David and I, oh, listen cool. to him all the time. So if we listen to him and we're financial guys, hmm. we certainly hope you will You will do the same. Also, he's just started a subscription for members who really want to go deeper. He's spending additional time creating a premium resource so that he can actually help people with implementing some of the things that he's teaching. And really encourage you to take a look at that. He is working hard to to really bring a lot of value to people. So check that out, stockstoryteller.com. And uh, you guys can can really learn a lot from him. Uh, Alex, today, what we wanted to do is, uh, David and I listened to your one of your last episodes and it was on asset classes uh, as it comes to investing. This is something that David and I have touched on. So we wanted to have you come in and talk about the different asset classes, what they are, how people should be considering or what they should be considering as far as investing. Because investing is not a one size fits all. And uh, it'd be a good idea for us to just talk a little bit and find out your thoughts. And maybe we can offer some value to our folks as they think about the different ways of investing.
1: Yeah. And I want to remind our, our, our listeners, you can go back and listen to episode 11, 12, and 13 to get a, a broad overview of investing. But what we're going to talk about today is how you use money. And, and I know that there's three primary ways that we use money, Alex, and then we're going to get into the investing side of that. So give us the three primary ways and then let's dig into those asset classes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's, at the end of the day, there's really only three things that you or I or anybody can do with money, right? It, it all comes down to giving it away, spending it, or saving slash investing it. Those are the only three things that we can do with money. And in fact, if you kind of take it a step deeper than that, deep down, there's really only one thing that ever happens to money. And that is it gets spent. <laughs> it gets spent by, <laughs> Somebody it could be by you at some point.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Even if you give it away. Instead. It gets spent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I think I really like what you guys are doing with your platform because it's really focused, not just on the education side of it, which a lot of people talk about but on the stewardship, you know, we're focused on making sure that the resources that flow through our hands in this life go to the highest and best possible use. Mm -hmm. And that really aligns with my philosophy too. I think that when it comes to just money in general and within the specific subset of investing, that's really important. Um, But yes, those are the three things that we can do with money. We can save it, we can give it away, or we can spend it.
1: I love it. So when we get into investing it and saving it for long term, uh, what are some of the asset classes that people have access to these days? What's amazing is how in the last 15 to 20 years has become easier and easier to get access to different types of investments that would have typically been reserved only for people who are extremely wealthy. Now almost anybody can access these kind of assets. What, what's out there?
0: Oh my gosh. Like the universe of investment options is so rich and so abundant. It's, it's incredible. And it's only getting more abundant every day. There are so many different products and things being invented, but at the end of the day, from a broad perspective, there are really only three main types of asset classes that I've learned about and I've been sharing with people. And I can't take credit for this idea. This actually comes from um, a seasoned investor named Todd Treseder. And he's known for for popularizing this concept too. And it's the idea that there are three main asset classes that no matter what you invest in, it falls within one of these three buckets. So we can go through those now. Yeah, let's Um, do it. All right. So the first one is private business. If you or I want to start a business or we want to invest in someone else's startup or even not just a startup, but a large privately held company, that's a form of investment, right? Someone is being the entrepreneur, they're taking their risk, they're selling a product or service and we're investing in them. So that's one way. And within that asset class, one thing that is I think pretty relatable to a lot of us is something like a franchise. Like if you or I wanted to go out and own our own McDonald's, we could apply. And even though McDonald's is a publicly traded corporation, we could own a piece of that business for ourselves that is privately held. And then we would make money on the profits of that location when we sell burgers and fries to people. Mm-hmm. So that's one example within the realm of private businesses. The tricky thing about this asset class is that it tends to be very high risk. You can make very high returns. And in fact, the wealthiest people in the world, they're basically all entrepreneurs. You know, They right. may run publicly held companies, but they usually started things from nothing and that's how they grew massive wealth. So there's a high return for this asset class, but usually high risk because it's, it's kind of all on you. <laughs> it's all on right. you or the investor right. that you're putting money with.
1: That's great. And this is, uh, this is something that you know, we've talked about that you can invest in your own business but i love that you can also invest in other other people's private businesses and you can work like like Leo and i work together on getting money right and alex you've built the stock stories Business and it's and um, and in every case, business is a way to serve people, and so you're just looking for ways to serve people well and to help them to help other people and what they're looking for in the market. So, what are some of the the benefits to looking at private businesses, Alex? And then, what are some of the drawbacks in your mind?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest benefit is is really what I mentioned, which is that you have potential for incredibly high returns. You could make. 800%, 10,000% per year if things work out for you. And that's actually one of the reasons why in the future I want to invest in an area called angel investing, which is effectively finding entrepreneurs, people who are creating new startups and then giving money to them to fund their new ventures because when a company is at its very smallest, that the the chance of it succeeding is very small too. <laughs> but if it does succeed, you could return incredible amounts. So I think that's really the biggest benefit of investing in a private business. And then another aspect is if you get a private business up to a certain size, I mean, you don't have to report filings to the SEC. You don't have public scrutiny like a lot of these boards of directors of publicly traded companies do. So that's mm-hmm. another benefit once you know, a private business gets to a certain level of size. As far as the downside, you're risking, a, you're risking a lot of capital usually in most cases. It would be much more difficult for a smaller individual investor to go and, and invest in a private business. It's not like buying shares of stock. If you want to go and buy, say there's a dentist in your town and they want to retire and sell their business, let's say it makes profits of 200000 a year. And you want to say hey i want to invest in this business well they're probably not going to be okay with saying all right i'll sell you one one hundredth of my business for <laughs> like ten thousand dollars or something you know right, right. they're going to want all the money and so because of the fact that it's a private um, entity the liquidity in the market is just not really there so usually you're going to have to bring more money to the table to invest in a private business not always For example, there are some franchises you can start with $10,000, $20,000, or maybe even less, but usually this asset class is kind of reserved for either people who are going to put up a lot of money up front, or they're just going to be the entrepreneur all in and maybe bootstrap it from nothing and cost very little. So it's kind of this strange dichotomy there with that asset class That that can make it difficult
1: yeah well, and and I'm thinking about that if you were to buy an individual business like a like a dentist office or something along those lines, I, I don't know, and and you probably actually know better than I do. I remember in college, we would talk about earnings before interest and taxes, and it would EBITDA, and we'd say, okay, you're gonna multiply the amount of profit basically that this business makes in a year, and you would multiply it times somewhere between I think it was like six to eight times the profit. And then that would be the valuation of the business. And I think that's changed because that was, that was a long time ago when I took my business college courses. But I remember thinking, okay, like you said, if I had $200,000 in profit every year, you would have to pay at least six times that to buy the business. You'd have to spend $1.2 million. So when you say it's a high upfront cost to buy a business from somebody can be very expensive. And, and I think it's actually gone up. Is Do you know, Alex, I know it you know, varies based on industry and that kind of thing, but what's kind of the average um, that you would pay based on profits to buy a business outright?
0: Yeah, you know, David, that's a really great question because it's, I think, something that a lot of investors and business owners struggle with is like, how much is my business worth? How, how much should yeah. I pay? Valuation is its own kind of murky art, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. in general, I think what you said is correct. The industry, it's highly dependent on the industry and it's also highly dependent on the size of the business. So for example, just to, to give an analogy to the stock market really quick, because that's just another way to get business ownership Mm -hmm. for a large publicly traded stock that isn't going to grow a lot and isn't cyclical in nature, I probably wouldn't pay more than 20 times earnings, but I'd be willing to pay more than like six or eight times earnings, of course, because this is a very established business, has been around a long time. You know, you have different factors. The risk is lower. Yep. Exactly. The higher the risk, I'm going to pay a lower multiple. Mm. So I might even demand if it was a private business just starting out, I might even demand something like three times earnings Hmm. or two times earnings. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's that's one of the things that is. It, it really depends on the industry, and you really have to know the the going rate in your industry. And there's an entire profession actually of business brokers who help people with this, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? And you know they take their cut to be sure. Yeah, they do. But they usually have some kind of knowledge, specific knowledge about what the going rates are. Um, And this is true, even for things like internet businesses, there are people buying and selling um, e-commerce based businesses, things like that. So it's kind of a whole new world, but unfortunately, like the answer is it depends. Yeah. (laughs) um, Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's
2: it's the value that someone is willing to pay for it. (laughs) So (laughs) that's definitely true. Right. I mean, I might think my house is worth Half a million dollars and somebody said, "Nope, it's only two fifty. That's all you're gonna get, and that's all I could get if nobody else was willing to pay what I think it is." Um, I have actually a personal example. My sister has a a home healthcare business that she's run probably for the last six or seven years, and you know makes right now it makes really good income. She started with a partner. Uh, Eventually, the partner wanted to exit. And she kind of in a very tricky way, she, my sister didn't know this until later, but she contacted two individuals uh, that supposedly were buyers. Well, it turns out they weren't buyers. But anyway, wow. but the whole idea was, she's like, I need to know, like, what is my business worth? Because if these guys come to me and say, we want to buy, buy out your business. And she was in a position where they had 50-50 partnership, which is a bad idea in the beginning. But uh, but they were she was faced with either losing her business you know, and being bought out or having to really come up with a ton of cash to buy the other person out. And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I remember, like, I don't know what your business is worth. So I reached out to some friends and that are in the business and I said, what do you think it is? And it's like, well, it depends on so many factors. So I'd never really got a straight, like it's worth this much money if she's making this much income or this much profit. So it is depending on so many factors. But like you said, there are people out there that can help you with it if you're in that position so at least you have an idea uh,
1: what yeah. it's worth. Well, let's step into the next asset class. So that was all about private businesses and you kind of looped into that franchises and individual companies. So what are some other asset classes that people can invest in?
0: Yeah, the next one is real assets. Real assets. And and this one I think is a favorite for a lot of people because they're just so they're tangible. Real assets are things that You and I can see, we can hold it, we can, we can touch it and it has some value. And the most prevalent example is real estate, Mm -hmm. real estate, real estate. Oh my goodness. There are so many investors who are just obsessed with real estate and, (laughs) (laughs) and I can understand it. I can understand it because it offers a lot of benefits. I mean, people will always need a place to live. People need places to physically exist and conduct business there are all sorts of different types of real estate that can create cash flow or they can rise in value significantly. So one of the major benefits of real assets is that they are tangible. They're linked to some kind of physical utility. There's the mental model of utility, which is basically like, does it have any practical use? (laughs) And the practical use of something in many ways can dictate the value. And so that's kind of where real assets come in and specifically real estate is that's one of the major benefits is usually you have some kind of stability of cash flow etc mm-hmm. there are also other types of real assets that a lot of people may not think about right away things like gold or silver you know yeah. minerals from the earth or precious gemstones these are all things that we know are worth something Right, but we may not know what to do with it exactly. Especially in modern times, it's not like we're like trading gold trinkets for goods and services anymore. But we recognize that they have value, and so that's another type of asset within the broader asset class of real assets that people tend to invest in.
1: That's great. Uh, the nice thing about real assets is that you can you can go and just like you said, they're tangible. You can touch them. You you know you own it you you can show it to other people it, there's a sense of security sometimes that comes with having a real tangible asset like i own this house or i own this vehicle or i own gold and and it you can physically hold the gold bar and if the whole economy you know went sideways you would have something physical of value in your possession you wouldn't be relying on the internet to access your funds you know so uh, it, it's it is interesting because like just like you said that mental utility provides a unique value uh, and then specifically with real estate there are uh, there are some real uh, uh, tax advantages and cash flow advantages and other other unique advantages to real estate that are highly valuable what are some of the tricky drawbacks to real assets
0: <laughs> mm, yeah that's that's a good point and I think one of the biggest drawbacks to real assets is that someone can take it. Yeah. <laughs> someone could, someone could steal your stuff. They could steal mm-hmm. your, your diamond necklace or your gold bar that you bury in the backyard. Uh, these are physical things. So they come with physical risks and theft is one of those things. Another aspect of it that I think is maybe um more applicable to not just maybe smaller items, but even to bigger things like real estate is that they're not as scalable. So if you rent a house to someone and you collect rent from them every month and you say, Hey, this is awesome. I want to make double my money. Now, how do I do that? Well, you're not just going to get necessarily double the rent from the same property by trying to throw someone else in there as a roommate. Like, Hey, meet your new roommate. You guys are both going to pay the same as you did before. Like that's not really going to (laughs) work because it's derived again from the physical utility of the property itself. So if you want to make double, you've either got to provide more value with the property itself or buy another property. And that can take time, money. There's frictional costs related to the transaction All these things go into that decision process as an investor. So scalability is difficult with real assets, and that can be a major downside. But for many people, it doesn't really matter to them that much because maybe their goal is, I just want five rental houses. I'm willing to take my time to acquire Mm -hmm. them. Once I get those five, I'll pay them off, and then I'll be set for life and set for retirement. That could be a perfectly rational plan for many investors because they understand the asset class. They know what they're getting into and they're okay with a relative lack of scalability
2: too. Yeah, there's, there's another aspect to real estate that people need to be aware of. There are so many different ways to invest in real estate. One of those obviously is what Alex just mentioned, which is to buy and hold and then just rent out the, the, the house or the apartment complex or whatever you're buying. But I agree with you to Alex. Uh, one of the hard things to do with real estate is to have that exponential growth I have a friend who invests in multi-family uh, units, and we're talking 60 plus, you know, as much as 164 units. I think is the highest he's had, and he'll hold them for about two to three years. And in the meantime, though, he'll buy them when they're you know 40% vacant because it's in a depressed area, and then he'll invest by refurbishing all the apartments and making sure everything. So basically, raising rents, and by raising rents, the property is now making more money, the value of the property rises not because of like with your house or my house, it's whatever the houses in the area cost that drives the, the actual value. But with a multifamily, what happens is depending on how much money that business is making, that will increase the value. So you can actually come in, make some improvements, bump rents by $200 per apartment, and now you've got 100 units making $200 more, that's an extra $200,000 that's coming in every single month, and that increases the value of this property. So you know, then, of course, the value of it, when you sell it, you could buy it for a million and sell it for two and a half within a two to three year period. But the the part that people don't understand is that is a lot of sweat equity, and that's a lot of money that you have to reinvest in the business. Um, Again, my friend does this all the time, but what he does is he takes most of the rents, and puts them right back into the property for the first two years, and then as soon as he's starting to make some serious income, then he turns around and sells it and does it again. So it is possible, but it is a full time and then some job. Uh, it is you're in it, you know, 24 seven. So it is a different type of investing, and it does have a lot more risk in that. And you have to have, of course, the ability to do it. If you're going to hire a contractor for everything, it's going to be more expensive. That's going to dip into your profits into your uh, into your cash flow. So there's a lot of aspects of it that most people who just go to work nine to five, they don't have time to do that. They can't just quit their job and go do this and they don't have the equity to get started. So um, a few people do that, not as many, but that's what's great about these this asset class as so many people can get into it. Uh, I was mentioning my sister earlier about with her business. Well, before she started the business five, six years ago, she actually started with real estate. Her and her husband bought one duplex and then they bought a single family home. Then they bought another and another and so they've they've never gone into stocks and mutual funds. That's never been something that they they really took the time or understood. And they just weren't comfortable with it. They didn't they didn't feel like they had enough control of it. So they went with something that they understood, something they were good at. My brother-in-law is a contractor. He knows how to do anything or he has connections to do everything. So those kind of assets are very good if you want it to be hands-on. And that's kind of the way I think about it. There's hands-off and there's hands-on. Mm. Hands-on, real estate is definitely mm. one of those. Asset classes require especially when you're talking about real estate. Maybe gold, silver, those kind of things doesn't uh, require hands-on, but certainly uh, real estate does.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you, Leo, for sharing those examples. I love like these real life examples of people who are actually doing it. Like people who are actually investing trying these different things. And it highlights this awesome point, which is that when you have an asset that's producing cash, like your friend with the multifamily units, He only has to hold it for a couple of years. And because he's increasing the earnings power of the actual asset, it multiplies the value of Mm -hmm. the asset. Contrast that with someone who buys a house that they have only intentions just to live in. And they say, oh, this is going to be a great investment in a couple of years, I'll sell it and make money. Well, I mean, you might, but that's predicated upon completely different factors yeah. than real estate that's control. being used as a business exactly. Right. Yeah. And real estate is really cool because it's almost like this it's like this hybrid between like active investing and passive investing or entrepreneurship and passive investment. It's somewhere in the middle there depending on how you invest in real estate. of course, like you said, Leo, there's many ways to do it. But I think it like that's just so wise also that I think you were saying your your sister and her husband had invested in real estate. And they were doing it because like they understood it. Mm-hmm. They weren't investing in stocks, not because they didn't think that it could return a lot for them, but because they were focused on staying within. There's a mental model called circle of competence. You stay within the realm of things that you understand and you seek to increase the things you understand. Of course, you're always learning, but don't invest in things you don't understand, but invest in things that you do. So I, I just love those examples like people actually investing and, and following those principles, it's great.
2: Yeah. So let's, uh, let's touch on the third uh, asset class uh, that we talked about.
0: Absolutely. So the last and third final asset class is paper assets. Paper assets are things that have value that we can't see or touch, but we know they have value because they're usually based on ideas or legal structures. And of course, stocks fall within this category. Bonds fall within this category cryptocurrency falls within this category. There's so many things, patents, mineral rights, music royalties. There's so many different niches within this category, but this is frankly my favorite asset class. And it's because it is scalable. It's based on ideas and ideas have immense exponential power for growth. And so that's why I focus on stocks so much is because I can purchase a fraction. Of ownership in a corporation that's already established already making lots of money that's going to increase the earnings power i don't have to manage the business at all i go about my life and they go and make money and i benefit and it's this amazing scalability of being able to make money from someone else's work and it's mutually beneficial because i'm providing capital to the market so it's this really great um, symbiotic relationship Um, But as far as the downsides, there are downsides, of course, to investing in any type of investment. Paper assets are no exception. If you invest in a paper asset like a stock, I mean, you don't actually run that business, right? So you're not the one making the decisions. If you are entrusting your money to a CEO who does something bad, like embezzles your money or commits fraud or just makes poor business decisions, then you could lose your entire investment very quickly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you have that risk as well. So that's kind of the the downside is that paper assets tend to be a lot more passive. But on the plus side, they're a lot more passive, and you can also still make money. So I think it just speaks to the temperament and personal knowledge of the investor themselves. If you want to invest in one of these three asset classes, just ask yourself the question, which do I feel like most naturally drawn to? And why? And then kind of explore it from there.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's okay to do multiple uh, if you want to take the time to learn uh, what the, each individual class is and and be involved in multiple if that's if you're drawn to that. But it really depends. You you said something that's really important is the temperament. Like what what risk level do you have uh, when it comes to whatever type of investment you get into? You have to take that into account. If you're buying into real estate, the first, when I bought my first uh, real estate holding and I started having renters. The first year was great. No problems. I think I spent a whole $3.50 for a toilet ring. And that was, <laughs> you know, it was like, this is easy. Let me buy another one. And then of course I had a terrible tenant that took four months to get out. And I learned that, okay, this is a little stressful, not quite what I was signing up for, but then I had to, you know, in the midst of that stressful situation, having to evict a, the person and having to go twice through the process. Cause I didn't understand it the first time. It was very frustrating. And I remember reaching out to, I have several friends that are in real estate just happened to be connected that way. Not, not that I was searching for them. It's just kind of get, They came about and I reached out and I said, how do you deal with this? You know? And one of them said to me, said, look, I don't let someone that may have a bad situation, whether it's something they, they did because they're not a good person or because they hit a tough spot in their lives and they can't pay. I don't let that person dictate my future. So some people can't handle that. They, they think everything should run perfect and people should be a certain way. Well, the reality is I didn't put in a tenant that I thought was going to not pay me. I did the due diligence of making mm-hmm. sure this person was going to pay, but I had no guarantee that were going to pay. And when the person lost their job, I was left out. And I was the one, obviously being the biggest expense they had, I was the first one not to get paid. And, and then they didn't move out and stayed there for four months with <laughs> without leaving, without paying. So but I had to make a decision: Do I want to stay with this kind of investment, you know? And and I just had to go through that process and realize, yeah, this is a good investment long term, but it's going to have hiccups. And as long as I'm I have enough cushion, reserve to deal with this, then it's not a big deal. I don't have to sweat it. Long term, it's a great investment, and it has been for us. But but it's not for everybody. And you know, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to take a Saturday to trim trees, or you know, or hire somebody to pay them and take your cash flow out of it. Um, you have to think through that. So maybe paper assets is what you go after. But each one of them matters because it is based on individual preference and uh, knowledge, what you're willing to learn, what you're willing to grow and understand so that you can be, an, whether you're an actor or a passive investor, I don't like the word passive because it almost sounds like I just put my money in, it's just going to make money. No, you actually have to still be involved to a degree, especially if you're buying individual stocks. And Alex does a great job of, of educating you on what that is. So- check his show out because he'll go through. And so you have a better understanding of what these, not just the mental models, so you understand how you're making decisions, but also what are these individual companies I'm looking at investing in? What does the investment look like? What is the risk that I'm taking? That's a great aspect of what you do that I really appreciate about your show is that you actually... Educate people on understanding these businesses so that when they're thinking about investing, they have a criteria for making those decisions. It's not just, oh, they're going up in in price. I, I better get in on it because I'll make money in two months and then I can cash out. No, <laughs> uh, that's probably not wise. And uh, you do such a great job of of doing that, Alex. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we love about working with you, Alex, is, is the heart that you've got to educate people, because one of the ways that you mitigate the risk of a paper asset is you educate yourself. So if you're going to entrust your money to uh, a business, you want to know who's running the business, you know, who's making the decisions, what their potential profits in the future are, what their potential hurdles in the future are, and 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 you go uniquely into each one. In one of the most recent episodes, which was a premium level episode on DraftKings, you talked about government regulation and you talked about the laws that may affect the future business model of this company. And that's so valuable for any investor to have a broader context so that when they go in and buy a company Using paper, <laughs> using their cash, putting putting dollars into a bank or into a broker, and then that broker going and making that purchase, all of a sudden it becomes very digital. And it, and this money is flowing. You don't get to tangibly touch it like real estate, and you start to think, "Oh, I don't have any control. I can't do anything about this." Really, you can be educated, and you can go in and learn about each of these companies so that you're taking educated, knowledgeable investments into the future, and hopefully returning a profit. Well, Alex, uh, I'm going to ask again, and, I, and I'm looking back as, as we were talking just now, I ran some quick math, and I'm sure you have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was February of this past year when uh, when we last had you on the show. So that's maybe six months ago, I guess, and we're sitting in August now. And I said, uh, is there any stock that you're particularly interested in or have had fun reviewing? Um, Obviously, you're not going to give financial advice and tell people to go buy a stock. But if there was a stock that you had recently purchased or would be interested in purchasing uh, in this season, something that you might individually, because you're an individual investor, I'm an individual investor. Is there something that you're looking at that you're excited about? And I want to reflect backwards When I asked you this question in February, I believe you pointed out uh, Louis Vuitton, uh, Moet and Hennessy, right? And so you said, hey, check that one out. Like, I'm not saying buy it. I'm not saying don't buy it, but go check it. Listen to my episode and check it out. That was in February, February 9th, and it was valued at 537 at the time uh, at close that day. And it's now 697. I'm looking on Yahoo Finances where I'm seeing the current numbers. And that, so 537, six months ago to 697, that is over a 20% increase in the last six months, which is absolutely staggering, you know, in in just investment terms, that's incredible. And it's because you had done research and we're just thinking, I think this is a little bit undervalued and it's a super solid company. Why would somebody not be looking at this? So if somebody had listened to the episode six months ago and put in a hundred dollars, they would have $120 now. Or if they put in $100,000, they'd have $120,000. Now, I'm not saying based on this investment advice, you should go put $100,000 somewhere. But but what are you looking at today, Alex, that, that seems like a fun a fun opportunity or just something that you've been enjoying researching?
0: Oh, yeah, I love the question. Thank you, because I just obviously love talking about stocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Louis Vuitton, Moy Hennessy, I mean, that's still one of my favorite companies. I bought it back in March, 2020. um, And I, of course, every investor says they wish they bought more, right? Uh, Yep. yep. (laughs) But I wish I bought more. Um, Right now, I'm really loving studying this company. It's a beer company, actually. Have you guys heard of Samuel Adams? Oh, yeah. Okay. Boston Beer Company. Yep. A ticker symbol, S-A-M for Sam. Mm -hmm. And... I just initiated a small position in that the other day, just this past week. And I'm thinking about adding more. I want to do more due diligence first, but um, sometimes I like to do that. I'll put a little bit of money into an investment just to like get some skin in the game first Mm -hmm. to like force me to like do more research (laughs) (laughs) before I like commit more. Um, But I really like Boston Beer Company. They're the fourth largest brewer in the United States. Uh, Some of the bigger ones being companies like Anheuser-Busch, InBev, Molson Coors, Constellation Brands is also pretty up there. But have you guys heard of the, uh, the those hard seltzer waters that are coming oh, out? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a, there's, there's a ton yeah. of
1: commercials for those.
0: Yeah. So they have the number two market share in hard seltzers with the Truly brand. Wow. And last year, 2020, they just knocked it out of the park. They had over 100% growth in that category. And this is a new product line for them. Traditionally, they make hard uh, ciders and they make beer. That's really their primary business that has been growing pretty well over the past couple of decades. But the fact that they've gone into this new product line and seen a lot of success, the stock... Crashed completely over 25% in a day this past week, which is what got me to pay attention to it. And
1: <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You're like, mm, discount, discount.
0: <laughs> well, here's the thing. Businesses can go from like overvalued to undervalued, or they can go from overvalued to like more overvalued hmm, or less, sure. less right. overvalued. Right. Exactly. So I was trying to understand like what the difference was like, okay, what's really going on here. I looked into it okay, you're paying about 30, 32 times earnings for this business, which by no means is cheap. However, I see that this company has low debt. I see that their return on equity, which is basically a metric that measures how efficient management is at converting their assets into profit, Mm. has been steadily above 20%, which is usually the sign of a pretty competitive business, usually. And the fact that they're not using debt to do this lets me know that people value their brands enough to pay up for them. They're paying up premium prices for craft beer. So that's what got me really interested is I was like, okay, 30 times earnings, all right. Pretty good growth in the mid double digits range. Um, They got hammered. The reason the stock got hammered is because the guidance the CEO gave on how they think that Truly brand is gonna perform over the summer, it didn't pan out as well as expected. They still had incredible growth, but but Wall Street was expecting like super high expectations. And so right. whenever Wall Street gets disappointed, they punish the stock. Yeah. And so I was looking at this and saying, you know what? You have this high quality business. It's still small enough to grow at a decent rate, but it's big enough to already have a dominant position in the marketplace. They only have 4% market share in the beer industry, period. Like it's, this is a very fragmented industry. And they're like, they're, they're one of the big guys. Mm-hmm. So they still have room to grow, but they have the stability of, of an established player. So that's some ideas for you and, and the listeners. I've, I've been researching that recently. I might do a premium episode on it, but uh, yeah, Sam Adams, um, ticker symbol C S a M Boston beer company. That's what I'm thinking about right now.
1: That's awesome. Thank cool. you, Alex. And it's, and it's I love that you're willing to just dig into that and share right off the top of your head, your heart on that. Because sometimes you ask somebody for an investment idea and it's like, well, uh, mm, uh," and and it's not that you're saying you should go out and buy this today, but but you're saying, hey, here's what I'm enjoying learning about. Why don't you go spend some time learning? And no matter what you learn, it's going to help you grow in all of your investing journey. And I'm looking at the symbol right now. I'm looking on Robinhood. I'm looking on Yahoo Finance. And you're right. It's it's taken about a 50% dip in the last year, which could potentially be a great opportunity as long as the business model is solid. So that's awesome.
0: Right. And, you know, stock charts are one thing, but look at the business performance, mm-hmm. What you know, pull up the profits. What have the profits been doing over the past year? Yep. Have they been cratering 50%? No, they haven't. No, <laughs> so no. that should tell you something there. So,
2: yeah. And that's, you know, that's, I just want to point to this, that You didn't just say, oh, uh, you know, I saw a dip in this. Maybe it's time to buy. No, you went and looked at the actual parts of the business that would tell you what the real story is, not is the stock undervalued because the market says so. But like you said, is the business making money? Is there something that tells me there's a problem or is there something that says, no, it's steadily growing and it has potential. So I love that you're, you're not just telling people, hey, I think this might do okay. You're backing it up by data, by research, by learning about the company. Uh, so I just love the model that you have for studying in a company. I think that's something you really need to consider. Uh, just a little idea here that maybe you should build a course or something that says, here's how I go about studying in a company and just teach people how to, how to understand uh, I listen to your podcast all the time and and I've been binge binge listening because I hadn't gone back and listened to all of them. Um, and I've been working on my car in the garage. so it's just been like going on. Um, <laughs> keep going backwards to listen to the ones I had missed. But what I like is as I'm listening, uh, i'm I'm starting to learn and understand the process that you take to understand companies. But it's harder in an audio format to visualize that. So that's why I encourage you to kind of think about maybe in your premium, you add something that says, let me walk you through a process to understand visually how this looks on actual paper. So that as you're looking at the financials of a company and the different research that you pull up, uh, you can educate people how to do that themselves. So I think you should do that. Thank you. I really appreciate that feedback.
0: Yeah. Mm Yeah. I'll do something like that. Thank you. Cool.
1: Alex, is there anything else you want to share uh, and point people to Stock Storyteller or the Stock Stories podcast or the premium subscription? Anything else you want to share uh, with our audience before you head out?
0: Yeah. First of all, I just want to say David and Leo, thank you so much for inviting me back. I, I feel honored that that you guys wanted to have another conversation. And I hope that I was able to help someone out today with breaking down these three asset types because I think as investors, especially new investors, it's just so confusing what's out there. And there's so much noise. If we can categorize things at a very basic level. I mean, I know for me, when I learned that concept, it just helped me um, center myself and kind of go forward with with more rational thoughts. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to do that. And also, um, you know, if anyone is really interested in learning about specific companies, learning about the business behind the stock. How do we decode the business behind the stock? Check out the Stock Stories podcast. I am there every single week, and like Leo and David said, we're going through the entire S and P 500, and we're 100. We're 100 down, and and I'm going to keep going. So um, come and join me there, and definitely uh, I love any any feedback that I can receive to to improve the show, make it better, make it of greater service to you guys. So thank you.
2: Yeah. And if you want to get a hold of Alex, he is also on Instagram. Uh, What's your handle on Instagram?
0: It is stock storyteller. So you can find him on Instagram at stock storyteller.
2: And Alex will answer you if you, if you message him, he, he, he did that when I asked him to come on the show. And so he's active. He, uh, he loves, loves, loves to talk to people about this. Uh, So he can help you. He would love to do that. And again, he does a great job of providing that ongoing every week Uh, and do check out his premium uh, product. I think, uh, I think this is a great resource that really could benefit you in growing in your your understanding of stocks and companies and how to be a better investor. We wouldn't have asked him to come on and we certainly wouldn't be listening to him if we didn't believe that. So we do encourage you to do that. Thanks, Alex, again. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. We enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, well, if you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to rate, review, and maybe even leave us a comment Uh, for this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening. Uh, We just want to know, how are we doing? Are we serving you well? Is there something else that we can do to help you in your personal finance journey? And uh, we are continuing to work on our course. Uh, That's going to come out hopefully later this year. We are working really hard to create something that will be beneficial to all of you that wish to have a better understanding of how to walk through a process of developing a solid financial plan, and a strategy for reaching all of your financial goals. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we would just love for you to share this podcast with someone that you care about that also needs this education. Uh, Thank you for being with us. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we we can keep keep getting getting money money
1: right. right.
0: These are all things that we know are worth something right but we may not know what to do with it exactly especially in modern times it's not like we're like trading gold trinkets for goods and services anymore but we recognize that they have value